everyone doing that, and also the guys who help stack and, and load the stuff and haul it down uh, to Mexico. So that was great that you did that, and I know it'll bring a lot of fruit. Let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Timothy chapter 4. So we're continuing on this journey through the book of 1 Timothy. We're coming to the end of the fourth chapter. You know, um, if there's one thing that this world is trying to do to us, it's to make us selfish. That's the nature of the fall of Satan from the beginning. That's the nature of every sin and every um, way in which we damage ourselves and others. It comes down to thinking of yourself first. And that has kind of been perfected in our society over the last couple of decades as they've called it the me generation where everyone just decided it's all about me. But we see what happens and society also gives us a graphic illustration of what happens when everyone turns to selfishness. Um, you have a lot of excess and that leads to bubbles bursting and it leads to people finding a lack of fulfillment. Ultimately, despair comes either from not getting what you want or from getting what you want and finding out it really wasn't worth getting. Ultimately, what selfishness always leads to is um, one of the greatest crimes that there is, and that is to decide to take your own life. That's what Satan is trying to do, is to try to make you kill yourself, either, either fast or slow. He's trying to get you to do things that will destroy you. Of course, suicide is the most selfish and most cruel offense of all. It tells everyone else in your life they don't matter. You're just going to think of yourself and take your ball and go home. Now, the church and Christianity has kind of responded to the gross problems with selfishness, and, and, and we've come along with an alternative to that that sometimes swings too far in the other direction. We talk about, well, okay, I need to put others ahead of me. And so we get excited about verses like in, in um, Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says, esteem others higher than yourself. Uh, we see Jesus saying, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to come after me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And so what we have substituted often for the world and the devil's selfish alternative is to completely ignore ourselves and to neglect ourselves and, and think that that's spirituality. You'll hear people talking about the word joy, J-O-Y, as being Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And it sounds really good. I mean, it preaches well, but the truth is what comes out of that a lot of times is anything but joy. What happens is certain people decide, I'm just going to pour myself out for others. And when you do that, you find you're part of the 20% of the people that are doing 80% of the work. You end up pouring yourself out, expending yourself until there's nothing left of you. You find yourself discouraged, disillusioned, and burned out. If you're a mom, you know what I'm talking about. And you just go, man, I put myself last, but now there isn't anything left of me for Jesus or others. I'm just flat out burned out, worn out, spent. And that doesn't lead to joy. And the scriptures would never 
tell us to neglect ourselves at the expense of ourselves for the sake of others because frankly for you or for me to burn ourselves out isn't really going to do anyone all that much good. Paul was concerned about this when he talked to Timothy here in the fourth chapter. And even as he was using, as we saw last week, he he used the uh, metaphor of exercise and nutrition to remind him spiritually that you need to take care of yourselves. Now as we come to the end of this fourth chapter, he zeroes in on this concept even more as he explains to Timothy how important it is that he deal with himself. That as I, I've entitled this message, Get a Grip on Yourself. And I got that from verse 16, where it says, 1 Timothy 4, 16, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. The word, therefore, take heed, is the word hold and the word upon, epi-echo, which means get a hold of yourself. Get a grip on yourself. Get a handle on yourself. Because, see, if you don't deal with yourself, there's not going to be anything there for anyone else. And so Paul's warning Timothy and exhorting him to deal with himself, to get a hold on himself, get a grip on himself, take care of yourself. And that may seem like a very unspiritual thing because we've been so indoctrinated toward, you know, dumping on ourselves and being down on ourselves in an unbiblical way and and misinterpreting what the scriptures say. What he's talking about, though, it's similar to when you get on an airplane and they, they show you all the instructions in case of an emergency. And usually we don't even listen or pay attention to that because the last thing I want to hear about when I'm getting on an airplane is about all the things that can go wrong. And imagine myself in the middle of the Pacific hanging onto a seat cushion and floating. But, you know, a part of those instructions as they show the, the oxygen mask dropping down, and it shows a picture of a man with a child. And it says, put your own mask on first before you put the ma- help anyone else. Now, I don't know about you, but that goes against the grain of what I feel is my nature. And if one of my kids is on an airplane, I'm holding my breath, and I'm putting their mask on first. If there's an elderly person next to me who's confused, I'm going to grab their mask and put it on before I put on my own. And that becomes endemic of often how I live my life, frankly. Because if I pass out while I'm helping other people, then there won't be any more help to give to other people. And the advice that the airplane gives is a sound one. Put your own mask on first, and then you will be able to perhaps help a lot of people around you. And that's kind of spiritually what Paul is exhorting Timothy to here. And for those of us who live with a Messiah complex, it's a difficult thing to get a grip on. And yet we need to do it or we will destroy ourselves. You are not called to die for others. You're called primarily to live for others. And if you don't live, you're not going to be there for others. And even Jesus, as as, as Philippians 2 says, to let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who he was God, it says, but he didn't hang on to that, but but he was willing to empty himself of the use of of that 
so that then he would die the death on a cross so that he would be exalted and have a name which is above every name so everyone would bow down to him. Jesus' humility came out of his abundance. Had he not been God, his sacrifice wouldn't have done any good at all. And it all led to glory. And so you have to get that full picture. Life is not all about just dying. (laughs) It's not just about expending yourself in any way possible. It's about being productive. And so Paul wants Timothy to know it when he's young because young people tend to think their strength is going to last forever. Young people seem to think that the well that they're drawing from is just unlimited. As you get older, as Paul was, you want to tell young people, hey, make sure that you're not neglecting those things that allow you to be able to continue to be productive. Don't kill the goose that lays the golden egg. And so Paul here addresses Timothy. We'll start beginning with verse 12 of 1 Timothy 4. And notice how much of verses 12 through 16, how many times he says, you and yourself. It's interesting. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So the first thing that Paul says to Timothy here is, understand that you are an example. The word there for example in the Greek is the word tupos, from which we get our word type. And it was a word that talked about a stamp that would leave an imprint of itself on that which it stamped. Those of you who are old enough to remember before computers, remember that in order to to print something, it took impact. It took something like old typewriters had these little type letters. And that wasn't an electronic font. I'm educating you younger people. It was actually a little letter. And when you push the button, it slammed that against a piece of ribbon that would then make that imprint on the paper. And that's what type is. A printing press, you would have to actually arrange the letters, the little pieces of type, and then they would be slammed down against that which was going to take the the ink off of it, and it would leave that imprint. So in the same way, when people look at us and the way we live our lives, we are to be a type a stamp, a rubber stamp, a representation of what it means to be a believer. In other words, people are looking at you, Paul's telling Timothy, and they are going to draw conclusions about what life as a believer is based on how you live your life. And so his first challenge to Timothy here is, understand you are influencing others. Understand that you are to be an example that you don't just live for you and it's not about you and then when you're gone, you're done. You have an influence on others. Now, you may say, well, I'm not very influential at all. Um, Sociologists have determined, and I don't know how accurate this is, but it makes sense when you think about it, (coughs) that even for the most shy and reserved person in the world, They estimate that that person influences at least a 1,000 people over the course of their lives. Now, you might go, 
I don't think I influence a thousand people. Some of you know that you, some of you have more than a thousand people that you send emails to every day. But and thanks for all that junk, by the way. But um, but the truth is, how you live your life affects a lot of other people. <coughs> Christmas is coming. You can tell that by the fact that Thanksgiving's almost here and the Christmas decorations are already up at the stores. Um, but the movie A Wonderful Life, where um, Jimmy Stewart plays the part of, what's his name, George Bailey, who thinks that his life doesn't matter, and so he is transported into a version of the world where he had never existed. And he realized how many people that he had affected, how much of a difference he had made in people's lives. Well, Paul is telling Timothy here, understand that you are an example. You're young, and there may be people who look down their noses at you, but the truth is you make a difference in the lives of other people. And some people who know more people than others may affect hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And how you live your life makes a difference to how they end up living their life. Now, if you say you're an introvert, that only in your lifetime will affect a thousand people. Each of those thousand people, if they are all introverted, will also influence a thousand people. So ultimately, and that continues to multiply, how much of a difference, if the Lord tarries, does your life make to countless others as an example of the believers? And so Paul reminds Timothy of just some of the areas in which he is a type, in which he is an example. He says, you're be an example to the believers, first of all, in word, in what you say. A lot of people hear what you say. A lot of people see what you say. So what you say and how you say it has an influence on others. Take responsibility for that. Have an appreciation for that. Understand, I, I can't just say whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want. I, I make a difference. Those of you who have children understand this principle of significance. When you hear your children saying things that... You think it's horrible that they say it until you realize they heard it from you. And maybe out of context, maybe in a different way, maybe you wouldn't say it there, but nonetheless, they say what you say. You're the one that taught them how to, how to speak. And that's, that's humbling sometimes. But we influence people by what we speak. Now, I, there are things that people said to me 40 years ago that I can still remember, good things, things that encouraged me. I remember people who went out of their way to tell me something encouraging long, long time ago, and it's still affecting my life. At the same time, I can think of things that were said to me 50 years ago that were negative, that were hurtful, and they still hurt. Even now, it's crazy, but it does. It, the power of words is an amazing thing. And so as someone who has the ability to communicate, realize, recognize your words matter. Your words make a difference in people's lives. Own that. Take responsibility for that. But he goes on and says, not only in word, but also in conduct. The old King James translated this word um, conversation, 
It really doesn't mean conversation as in talking. That would be logos, word, the first thing in the list. This word conduct isn't a bad translation because it refers to kind of the whole way that you live your life. The word is anastrepho in the Greek. The word strepho means to turn, and the word ana means um, to either go up or to be before, um, you know, prior to in, in relationship to. Um, the idea, though, is, and the reason why it describes the way someone lives their life, is that it's talking about the full circle of what you do. It's talking about as you rotate through life, as you move through different facets of life, and what it's really referring to is your well-rounded life. Is your life kind of complete and whole? Do people look at the way you live your life and do they see something that's balanced? Do they see something that's full and rich? Do they see someone who is in control of things and, and knows how to live life? Do they see fulfillment? Do they see joy? Do they see healthy relationships? Or do they see that you're like a wheel with a flat edge? Now, this is a battle that we all need to face because so often our lives can go to extremes in one area and, and we just don't have enough time to sometimes fill in those other gaps. We make trade-offs, we make sacrifices. Someone who spends a vast majority of their time, for instance, at work, more than what is normally necessary, it takes away from other areas of your life. And so are you sending a message to people who look to you as an example of what a Christian is? Oh, what a Christian does is he sacrifices his family and his friends and his health and everything else so that he can make sure he gets lots of work done. Or are you a person that just always plays? That communicates something else about life. Are you a person who, you know, sees every TV show that was ever made and knows every movie that was ever there, but your whole life seems to be centered in that? Anything that makes your life out of balance is something that teaches people the wrong message about what life is supposed to be like. Now, you know, before you start beating yourself up, and we're not even through this list, understand this. When we look at what we're to be an example for, this is a prayer list. This is a grocery list. This is something, in, in fact, if you go through this list and then you go, whoa, man, I feel like a bad example, that's okay. Because now you know what to pray about for God to help you in. The only people I'm worried about are the people who after we get through this list, they're going to go, yep, 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 that's me. <laughs> You're delusional. <laughs> but he's going through this to go, Hey, pray about the things that you say. Pray about the balance in your life. Make sure that it's, that it's something that... Really, the bottom line is, if other people spoke like you, communicated like you, what would the world be like? If other people reflected the balance that you reflect in your life, what would the world be like? Challenging, for sure. And as he goes on... He says, also, in your love, if other people cared as much as you do, if other people loved the way you love, how would that be? When people look at your life, do they go, that's the kind of loving that I want to be? 
I wish I cared as much as you do. I wish I expressed that in the way that you do. And he goes on again, and in spirit, that is in the relationship to spiritual things, in relationship to the Holy Spirit. Are you as filled with the Spirit? Are you as aware of spiritual things? Do you care about things of the Spirit? Do you develop that area of your life? Or do you move more in the, in the way that you think everybody else ought to also, that they could look at your type of spirituality and go, yeah, that works. That, that would actually work for me. I, I would like to move more in the direction of, of kind of the way that you handle these sorts of areas. And he says, in faith, you really believe? How do you show that? Now, faith means trust. If you want to see a lack of faith, think of somebody who's freaking out all the time. Thinking of someone who's worried and panicky. They're always pushing the panic button. Something happens, and they're like, their blood pressure goes up, their veins pop out, their face gets red. I didn't anticipate this. I wasn't prepared for this. An emergency. There are some people who are just great in emergencies. There are other people, you do not want them around in an emergency. But a person of faith, really, is a person who trusts God enough that no matter what life throws at them, whenever you know, the curveball comes in, they're not just bailing out on it. They're not just wanting to turn and run and hide. They're not always threatening to quit. They aren't constantly saying, I've had it with you. And they aren't making you feel like if you don't do it just right, you can't count on them because they won't be there for you. Faith is, I know what God says, and therefore I know God's on the throne. Therefore, I'm not worried. I'm not freaking out. I really do believe. I believe enough that I, that I live this life that he calls me to live. I have enough faith that if I don't get it done today, I'll believe I can get it done tomorrow. I'm not always in emergency mode. I'm not living in panic mode. I'm not addicted to adrenaline. I don't always have to have the big rush in order to keep me moving. An example in faith. And then finally, as he says, also an example in purity. Do you have a filter on your life? Are you constantly looking for things to get rid of? Now, you know, this is a struggle for me. Often I accumulate things. I think it partly comes from when I was young, we had almost nothing, so everything was valuable. I was, it's kind of like you're the Tom Hanks when he was on that, washed up on that island, and, and everything that washes in becomes important and valuable to him. Some people live their lives that way, but the trouble is, man, stuff's washing up on our island all the time. And if we're not constantly getting rid of things, we begin to accumulate. We begin to pile things up. We, we become, our, our lives and our minds become cluttered. We're trying to do too much. We're trying to be too much. It's filling us up. And, and it's so important that we learn to put a filter on our lives. Because if we don't decide what we aren't, then by default, what washes up on the shore is going to determine what we are and who we are. If you try to read all your emails, you will end up really not understanding or comprehending any of them. 
And some people, I'm amazed, and, and it's cool if you want to forward me every funny email that you see. I mean, some of them are really funny, some of them are really priceless. Um, but I'm amazed at some of the garbage that people send me that they think it was so important that I had to see it. You know, there was like, and I think, did you really read this? I mean, do you really, does this make sense to you? Is that even logical to you? There's so much, the internet has introduced a pile of baloney, for lack of a better term I can use, into our lives, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we'll take it all in. A life of purity is a life that decides, you know what, I can discriminate. I can, I can decide that there are some things that matter and there are other things that don't, and I don't have room for that stuff. I want to stick with, I want to continue to put, put everything that comes into my life through a filter so that what comes out is the real deal, is clean, and it's not so polluted, it's not so gunked up. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, people are looking at you. And this doesn't just happen by default. We understand, wow, I have a responsibility because people are looking at me as a type of a Christian. People are looking at me as an example. And in all of these areas, I am held up in a position of influence, whether I want it or not, whether I intend it or not. You can run from it. You can try not to do it. But still, the way you live your life tells people how you think life ought to be lived, and some of them are going to live their life that way because you live your life that way. And so, by way of introduction, Paul is saying to Timothy, understand, man, you're just a kid, and a lot of people are going to just blow you off because you're young, but you live your life as if every person who knows you is going to copy you. And how would that work for them? And so there's no way to deal with that without looking in the mirror, looking at your own life and going, okay, how am I doing in what I say? How am I doing in the well-roundedness of my life, the circle of my life? How am I doing spiritually? What's my faith like? How, how pure am I? And to process that, not just for you, if it was just you, it wouldn't be that big a deal. You know, we have this expression, in the privacy of your own home, you should be able to do anything. Hey, there is no privacy of your own home. This is the world. And there are people watching you, even in your own home. So think about how you're living your life and live it in a way that sets an example to others, he's saying. Now we move on. And he says, until I come, until we see each other next, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now this is where he begins to get practical. On the basis of the importance of the responsibility that you have to set an example, here's what you need to be focusing on, here's what you need to be doing because this is going to help develop you. And the first one that he says is to reading. Now the word there for reading is a word that, it doesn't just mean, okay, looking at the words and kind of comprehending what it says. 
Um, the, the root of the word is the word gnosko that some of you have heard in sermons before. It means to know something personally and, and to know it in a way that you experience it. But it's preceded by the prefix anna, and so it's like saying to know it up or to know it again. And so the kind of reading he's talking about is reading and interacting with what you're reading. Reading and meditating. Reading it more than once. Reading for real. Now, for some people, you just go, oh, I hate to read. I don't understand that, but it's easy for me to say because reading comes easy for me, and I've always loved it, and I've always done a lot of reading, and I'm just so amazed at how much material is out there that I just, uh, to me, the ability to read, the opportunity to read is a privilege, and I love getting some time set aside when I can really read. Um, but there are some people who, and you can blame your first grade curriculum that they didn't teach you phonics or whatever for, you know, or you can, oh, well, I'm, you know, dyslexic or I have learning disabilities and whatever. Yeah, I get that. Reading can be more difficult for some people than others. But if you want your life to be full and rich, you got to put your, apply yourself to this. And as Paul says, whether it's easy or not, give attention to reading. And obviously, you need to discriminate what you're reading. The first thing is the Word of God. To read what the very Word of God that's here. I don't get it when Christians have what they say is God's Word. It's alive and powerful, and they just don't read it. But there's all kinds of other good things to read, too. And, and just developing that ability is something that then gets you better at it. Now, so I know for my wife, reading was a very difficult thing because she is dyslexic and it's hard. But she's a voracious reader. She reads a lot. But she has to read something more than once. She reads and asks some questions. She goes back and does it again. But she reads. And God blesses that, and she grows because of it. And it helps her. I had another friend who had never learned to read at all. I mean, he was completely unable to read. And he had made it all the way through school, you know, public school, and, and even college. For a couple of years of college, he was a football player, so he didn't have to read. And, you know, they put you in those special classes and everything. And, but he, he finally admitted to me, Dave, I, I was encouraging him to get his contractor's license. He had worked as a contractor illegally for many years. And I said, you know, why don't you get your license? And then he finally just broke down crying, and he said, I can't read. But as he gave his life to the Lord, he began to have a desire to read. And people gave him some reading helps and things like that. He got a children's Bible. But ultimately, what he wanted to do is read God's Word. It wasn't about getting a contractor's license. It was about reading God's Word. And God blessed his efforts at that. And now he reads the Bible a lot. And he'll call me and like a little puppy dog, so pleased with himself, Dave, you know what I read in the Bible? You know, in this, this scripture, it says this. And he gets a little confused, but, you know, reading between the lines, I can tell, yeah, it's actually, he's getting it. God's helping him to grow through reading. But that comes because you care enough to do it. There isn't any excuse for someone to be a Christian who just doesn't read. And now, okay, books on tape, and, you know, that's fine. There are alternatives. But Paul was saying to Timothy, 
give your attention to, make sure that you understand the blessing of reading, of doing that, of interacting with what you read. It's, a, it's one of the things that's one of the greatest blessings to human beings is that ability and that capacity. And it's free. There's all kinds of... Some of the most influential books that have changed Christians' lives are in the public domain, and you can download them for free. Um, libraries have tons of stuff that's available that you can read for free. Um, it, the material's out there, but you have to give your attention to it and set aside the time to do it. And if you say, I just don't have the time to read, then I'm telling you, you are spending your time doing some things that aren't as important as reading. And this is a good time to begin to shuffle some of those priorities. Give your attention to reading. And then also to exhortation. You're going, yeah, you're kind of exhorting us about reading, aren't you? Yeah, but exhortation doesn't mean to beat somebody up, as I've talked to you a lot. The word is parakaleo in the Greek. It's the same word that's translated comforter in relationship to the Holy Spirit. But it's two words. Kaleo means to be called, and para means alongside of. And exhortation, parakaleo, is that pulling somebody in close to you, pulling someone into your side, encouraging them, letting them know that you understand, sharing with them, letting them know, come on, man, you can do this. And so in the same way I'm telling you, whether this seems overwhelming, I'm telling you, you can do this. That's an exhortation. Um, and really, as he says, to, to give your attention to exhortation means Listen to people who are exhorting you, but also you give your attention to exhorting others. It's really mutual relationship that he's talking about. So don't just bury your head in a book, but then pull yourself out and spend time in fellowship with others. Spend time connecting with others, encouraging them with what God is showing you, and allowing them to encourage you, allowing them to have access to your life whereby they have the freedom to tell you, you know, I think you're kind of getting a little off balance here. I think this is a little bit off. It's so important that you keep that human connection. We're created for that kind of fellowship. And so he says, give your attention to parakaleo, to exhortation. And then he says also to doctrine. That just means teaching. And to decide that you want to learn, to accept that life is school, that it's an education, that you never stop that learning. There's always more that you can learn about God. Now, obviously, a lot of your learning can come through reading. A lot of your learning can come through exhortation. But it comes in all sorts of other ways, too. In, in their day, at that time, there were guys who were called to travel around to different churches and would teach. And so they would hear the guest speakers who would come along. Um, and there were different opportunities for doing that. Now, in our day and age, we are just, it's ridiculous how much good teaching is out there, both in print and humanly and electronically, the fact that you know you can you can go on the, if you have internet access or an MP3 player, there's there's 
teachings from men of God who have been dead for 50 years that you can hear all you want of what they have to say. Powerful, anointed teaching about God. You turn on your radio and it's almost 24 hours a day of solid teaching. Some more solid than others. You turn on TV and you'll find an hour in there once in a while. There's some good teaching on television. MP3s, you can get everything that people have ever taught in their life. Men of God who have since gone on to be with the Lord, like a Ray Steadman or somebody like that. There are so many guys like Pastor Chuck and others who everything they've ever said practically, you can get it for free and download it and listen to it. The opportunities for teaching for us are endless. Now, you have to be discriminating because you only have so much time. But you listen, and if somebody's feeding you, you listen to them more. I'll listen to certain teachers, and and they really feed me, and then after a while I'm like, I'm over that for a while. And I'll move on and spend a little more time listening to somebody else. That's fine. But the point is, are you being taught? Not just are you coming to church, and this is certainly a part of it. It's why so much of our church is devoted to teaching. But are you the type of person who really cares about learning? Because if God's going to develop you, your health is partly going to be connected to your education, to how you learn what you can do to live life the way life is supposed to be lived. And so, see, you are your number one student. If you don't learn, you really won't be able to teach. If you're not a student, you can't be a teacher. Life isn't like school. In school, the answers are in the back of the book for the teacher's edition. Life just doesn't come that way. And if you're not learning, you're not going to have anything to pass on. And that's sad because there are people all around you that you could teach that you could influence, but if you're not a student, you'll never be an effective teacher. You know that if you ever try to, you know, your kids get stumped and they're like in junior high or high school in math, and you're trying to help them, and you're going, oh man, I'm sure I had this. No, this is something that was invented after I graduated from school. (laughs) Well, maybe it's time for you to pick up, go back and get a fifth grade book and start to review and start to learn so that then you have the capacity to teach and to help people who need you. So he's going, Timothy, give your attention to reading, to exhortation or encouragement, to doctrine. And then he says in verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophesying with the laying on of hands of the eldership. He said, you've got gifts Stop neglecting them. Make sure that you are on a continuous process of developing that which God has given you. It is not spiritual to neglect yourself. You are your own number one responsibility because you're the only one you can really do anything about. I can't fix you, but I have a full-time job trying to fix me and develop within me my own capacities and my own gifts so that then I have something that's left over to offer to others. Whew, it's late. Um, So don't do that. Verse 15, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them 
The word there literally is the, is the being verb, and, and it means you be being this stuff. Make what you're learning a part of your life. Make that your quest. And he says, so that your progress or your profit may be evident. Literally, that word means that it'll shine forth to all. Pay attention to what you need to do in areas where you need to develop. Take responsibility for your own growth. Take responsibility to become a person who gives an example to others. Do that. Make sure. If you don't do that to you, you're not going to be much use to anyone else. And then he says, take heed. Get a grip on yourself and the teaching. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. You'll deliver yourself, and then you'll be able to deliver others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in the final verse, Paul said, I discipline my body so that I won't be somebody who, having preached to others, I myself am disqualified. And so the notion is, yeah, I, I'm not about me, I'm about others, but the best way I can help others is to pay attention to me, is to put my own personal development, to leave time to take care of myself, to discipline myself, to grow myself, to be enhanced and enriched myself, to be nourished and fed myself. And if I do that, if I put my oxygen mask on first, then I'll be able to help a lot of other people. And other people will be saved. And ultimately, I can be an example to other people because I started with that which is my primary responsibility, the guy I look at when I look in the mirror. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It's so important for us to understand this. And I pray that you would challenge each of us. Don't let anybody here be discouraged by the fact that they have so much room to grow yet. But Lord, help us to determine that today and this week we will begin to take your word seriously in this way and apply it to ourselves first. Apply it to ourselves in a way that will develop our capacity to exemplify you to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. We repent of all those times when we were guilty of pouring ourselves out until we were empty. We were guilty of sacrificing all that you've given us in some misguided attempt to save people. And all it led to was them looking at us going, how pathetic. I would never want to be like you. I would never want to be a Christian, a minister. So Lord, teach us how to go first so that you can build us up and make us useful to others. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.